Hey, this is Lena Ford. You are listening to Focus on Metal. Hey, listeners, Scott here. Richie. And uh, back once again in Studio E for more Focus on Metal. And uh, how we doing, man? Great. Awesome. Of course, you've got a great guest this week. You uh, managed to uh, hook up, at least on the phone at least, with uh, Lita Ford. Yeah. Have you ever spoken to Lita? No, I was supposed to do that. That was um, that was one of those big blowouts I had with one of the PR guys. Oh, yeah. that guy. The guy, yeah, I, that guy. the guy I'm in the good books with. Yeah, the one you're in the good books with. Yeah. <laughs> like, let's keep it that way. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, but I was, yeah, I was supposed to for the, um, for the book. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I thought, you know, I thought a great interview. And of course it's, um, <clears throat> you know, part of what I had talked about when I was, went back to that guy about that whole thing was the fact that I would have been the only person from Lowell talking to her for that whole, that whole deal. And she's got roots here, and I, you know, I figured that'd be a you know good selling point, nice interview topic. I mean, it was certainly a thing with with Joe Perry when we talked to him that uh, he was talking to all these people, but he really you know gave me extra time because it was like, oh shit, you played all the same places I played, you like you know these same things, and and uh, I thought you know that'd be a good thing with Leader as well, but uh, I guess the PR guy didn't see it the same way, so. But, but you had a great talk with her, and I thought one of the coolest things that you did on there, and probably what put her at instant ease, and I was so happy you did it, is you instantly started asking her questions about guitar. Straight away. It wasn't about songs. It wasn't about back in the day. It wasn't. But you went right into her as a guitarist. And I don't play. You don't play, but she's also... One of the things is, is especially where, you know, it all of a sudden just kind of became like sex symbol leader for a while. And, oh, she really can't play. She's just up there strumming and she's just singing or whatever else. But the the fact that she was always trying to fight back for that identity, even back in the runaways, to be someone who could really play and was proud of being a player. And so to have you start that interview off straight away right into guitarist questions was really a nice thing. Yeah, well, I did that deliberately. Um I, I read the book and, like, we're in Lowell, Massachusetts, right? We live here. Yeah. I, f- I, n- I fucking forgot. Because <laughs> when she said, she says the area code, and I said, well, I'm outside of Boston. And you just said it to me just be- before we were recording this, she, that she grew, grew up in Lowell. And I'm like, oh, fuck, yeah, you're right. But <laughs> I, missed, I missed that one. But the guitar thing was definitely something that she brought up in the book. That, yeah. Um, uh, it's a bit like one of the guys we talked about last week, Michael Sweet. Michael Sweet was a little bit annoyed in his book that Oz Fox used to get all the credit for all yeah, the solos. Rightly when so. When he did most, when yeah. he did half of them, right? And the thing with Lita was, yeah, it was, it was the sex symbol, Lita. Yeah. And uh, all you got to do is look at the album covers and the way they had her posing with the guitar and all that. Right. And, um, you know, very suggestive. Uh-huh. And... Uh, that it pissed her off that, uh, you know, they, they felt that, oh, you don't play the guitar on the album. Right. It's somebody else. Yeah. So I, I decided to not say that straight up, mm. but to, to say it in a kind of a different way to yeah. just ask her all about her guitars and all that. Yeah. So, so we started with that. Yeah, I did ask a few uh, oddball questions. 
Um, like I always do, I didn't ask the obvious ones. Um, you know, didn't ask her about her family situation at all, which was off limits. I, I'm not going there. Yeah, you did great avoiding that. No, yeah. I deliberately did it, yeah. and I'll tell you why. Um, I asked, I asked her about promoting the book, mm. right? And I listened to a few interviews, yeah, of her promoting the book, mm. and I've read it, and it's great. And I, you know, I was being honest with her; I did read it, and um, one of the th- things she said in the book was that she wasn't going to talk a lot about the situation with mm-hmm. her family, yeah, and which which I res- completely respect that. And um, some of the interviews that she did uh, it was very obvious that the guys doing the interviews. And there was some of these now were on commercial radio. Yeah. Right. Sirius XM was one of them. Mm. And they'd only read the excerpts, the sensationalized pieces, mm-hmm. and only knew of maybe working with Ozzy and, and that kind of shit. Yeah. And so they just kept asking her about the family. Yeah. And the family and the family and the family. And eventually Lita got fucking seriously pissed off in a few of them. Sure. And, you know, the PR person had to jump in and one or two of them yeah and uh i i thought to myself that uh you know great clickbait for the guys on the radio uh not very nice to your to your guest right and um very bad journalism mm-hmm. it's in my opinion it's yeah. like me asking um some guy i'm going to talk to next week uh, what do you think about donald trump <laughs> you know that that to me is like just completely fucking ridiculous but, yeah you know i i didn't go there with Lita deliberately um, I asked her a few, you know, I talked about an album that I don't think she gets asked about a lot. We got into deep, Dangerous Curves record, mm-hmm. got into that a lot. Yep. And um, she's she's really, really good. Um, she had another interview scheduled. I had, I had about half an hour with her, so I used up yeah. a half hour. And uh, she was great. Yeah, no, she it's, it's a great interview, good quality, lots of great questions, good discussion. And uh, yeah, I mean, I it was well done. One of the things that kind of, <laughs> I listened back to it. And um, I asked her, I named the grunge albums and she didn't understand what I was saying. And yeah. I was thinking, do I, do I have to actually tell who, who the bands are that had those albums that she didn't really know? And I was thinking to myself... Well, it was a know, good party in years. Well, she said herself that she didn't really follow any of the other music at the time. And I'm thinking, yeah, she's, she actually probably wasn't. Yeah. And uh, you know, I, I was kind of scratching my head. I was like, you don't know, never mind. You don't it's, know 10? Well, I'm sure, you know, she does. But, I mean, you go back to a lot of the bands. I mean, you look at you look at a band like um, like Rat. I, you know, I think they even talk about it in that video for, for like, Detonator and stuff, of, of coming back and being like, what the fuck happened? Warrant was one of them. You they know? walked into the lobby and, and when Dog Eat Dog came out and whatever was up on the wall, all their stuff had been taken down. Yeah, just, I think I it was think, Warrant. Um, I think there's a certain insulation that happened there for a lot of these bands, and yeah, well, the other stuff blew up, and they like they just didn't freaking see it coming. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, Red Beach told us he bought a house. Yeah, for the, with, when the pull record was <laughs> yeah. out, and he had to sell it. I mean, it's <laughs> it, you know, it's it's interesting too because I mean, it it does show kind of a, a of a fickleness of musical taste. Um, Especially here. And, and that's what I was going to ask you about, too. Because So I just finished reading a great book, um, Radio Free Boston, The Rise and Fall of WBCN. So one of my daughters got it for me for Christmas. I finally got around to reading it. WBCN, if you don't know, was a, was a huge station here in Boston. It was pretty influential um, nationwide. 
and a lot of a lot of famous people in radio actually started. Is it gone now? It is gone now. It's gone to a computerized voice or something. Um, like no, it's actually um, the station got entirely got entirely folded, and uh, they moved another station up from a lower band where it couldn't really get much reception in Boston. They moved it to that one hundred four point one station. Um, but they were, you know, uh, guys like like Peter Wolf from Jay Giles was a DJ on on BCN. Uh, um, what's his name? J.J. Jackson from MTV. He started. He was on BCN. Um, it's just Opie and Anthony started on BCN. So there's, there's a lot of people that started on BCN. They started a lot of trends. Um, and just for me, reading that book back, and I mean, it did bring a lot of memories. It's, it's written by Carter Allen, who's one of the, the guys who was on the air. He's, I think, on ZLX now. And um, it like I just remember... It brought back a lot of stuff I forgot about, and uh, just it's an amazing book. It's got a lot. It's a good history of like Boston in there as well, but it it also brings out the fickleness of the American taste. That for a long time, BCN was almost European in flavor in that their DJs would play anything, and everybody loved that. They loved that the, the DJs would get on and they would kind of, you know, meander talk and and just whatever. There was no – it wasn't – and at that point, radio in the U.S. was all like morning zoo, you know, DJs talk fast and punchy and, you know, duh, 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 kind fake of thing. names. And, and uh, hey. it, it was all – yeah, it was all <laughs> that stuff. And, and BCN, they, they, they just started with like – like we're talking now. Like, hey, yeah, we're going to play this band and – and they would go from literally anything. They would just play whatever. These guys would show up to the station with record crates or, you know, milk crates full of records. Oh, that day is gone. And and uh, and I, I will tell you, carrying the records in milk crates used to suck. But anyways, that's just from – and at one, I'm kind of a little biased with BCN too because at one point I was on one of their sister stations. So, um, But it, it was they, – they went from being able to do all of that to all of a sudden – you had um, AAF pops up. Now, AAF still exists here in the Boston market, but AAF, well, actually, even before AAF, there was COZ. And I actually, one of my guitar cases still has a COZ bumper sticker on it. But COZ went and took kind of all of the, um, kind of like the arena rock kind of stuff from BCN, but they left behind all of the other kind of more eccentric stuff. So they kind of mainstreamed it. And then that, so you kind of have one level of kind of fickleness there. And, um, but then AAF took that and they almost took like the best from COZ. And then they really mainlined it to this is, this is our format. We don't deviate from this. We don't play anything else different. And eventually it took a long time, but, Eventually, BCN uh, had to kind of choose to also go down that fickle route where now they started taking things out of the library, like in compressing what they could play and what they could play. And towards the end, they were more like almost like an alternative station, but they had a very limited playlist. And I mean, it played to a certain demographic, but and, and I think it plays overall to this this kind of bad mentality that we have now with American radio, they turned into everything that, that they were trying not to be. There didn't used to be 
like a clear channel that said, okay, every clear channel station, and I've said this a million times, you know, you're the AOR stations. This is your 15 songs you're playing this month type of thing. And, and if, and you know, okay, you're the hip hop stations. Okay. This is your 15 hip hop songs you're playing this. You must play Van Halen every 20 minutes. You know, and, you must yeah. play Led Zeppelin every yeah, 20 exactly. minutes. And, and, and I think, I'm, I, I think probably that you must've, I know you probably had, it was, it was a more of a limited amount of stations you could tune into, but I would imagine they were probably a little more varied. Um, they didn't play much rock. Uh, they played a lot of um, new wave music, uh-huh. lot, a lot of U2. Yeah. Zeppelin, Sabbath, forget it. Iron Maiden, forget it. Um, Van Halen, jump. You ask, huh. you'd ask, you'd ask them to put on a heavy track. Yeah. It was either Living on a Prayer or the Final Countdown. Did ever play <laughs> ACDC? No, forget huh. it. No ACDC. Wow. Um, a lot of the American bands, um, even in the eighties, Aerosmith, forget, no chance. That's and that's so interesting because. I mean, I, I look yeah, at I'm I look at like about, a festival like Sweden Rock. Yeah, I'm talking about Ireland now. Yeah. Maybe in, in the UK they had this DJ in the '80s, and I'm sure a lot of English listeners called Tommy Vance. Oh yeah, he's legendary. Yeah, he's he and he played a lot. Uh, he was on I think he had yeah, a the show. Friday night show. He was right? on BBC. Yeah. He was on the big station in England. Yeah, and um, he was the guy that would play all the all the really mm. heavy and and some obscure stuff, and he was the go to guy for. Uh, uh, you know, a lot of bands. I remember in 88, uh, we could get them some, depending on, you know, which leg you were standing on, <laughs> an aerial and kind of thing, you know, and, and which way the wind was blowing, you might get a signal. And I remember out, I was out in the field one night, uh, we were camping, and we are trying to get Tommy Vance on because this is way before the internet, of course. Justice for All was... Uh, 
it wasn't even out, I think, and Tommy Vance had a copy of the album, and he played one. Uh-huh. And the, the sound was shit now, you know, the reception yeah. was shit, but like, I was like, fucking Metallica on the radio, you know, I couldn't believe it. Have you ever listened to Lars's bass drum on one? Yeah, boy. It's fucking horrible. I know it is. It's horrible. <laughs> horrible. They might remix it. Yeah, right. Oh, my God. It's horrible. Yeah, but... I don't well, know what they were thinking. When I moved here, I was like, fuck, they're playing heavy rock on the radio. And then I realized it was the same fucking heavy rock songs on the radio yeah. all the fucking time. No matter which way you put the dial up, uh-huh. down, sideways, in or out. Yeah. It was all the same songs. And the other thing I found over time as well, uh, that they, they were talking about this satellite radio being this, you know, they were great thing that they were going to play all the new music yeah they're turning into the commercial stations as well they play all a lot of the same stuff too they might play some deep cuts not that many they well you know it's i like it depends too what your subscription is because yeah you're right there's definitely like some stations that you're going to hear the same thing like again and again and again and again i mean you listen to boneyard and you do have some um what did they play this morning? Like Methamedic? I was like, holy shit, I can't believe they're playing this track, which was awesome. But then there's other ones like Rock Bar where you just don't know what the hell they're going to play. I mean, it's, it is like old school American radio on there. They've got a station that just plays Pearl Jam. Yes. And, that's, and, and Springsteen, and that is it. Yeah. But I'm, I'm old school. I'm an album guy. I like to put on albums and listen to albums. Uh-huh. I'm not a guy that, you know likes to mix stuff up and play different songs in a certain order. I very, very rarely listen to radio here at all. Yeah. Um, I like chat. Yeah. Like, which is one of the reasons I like podcasts, because a lot of them have discussion on it, uh-huh. which, I, which I really like. Yeah. Um, they play the odd song, which is fine, but I won't sit down and, you know, drive, you know when, I'm drive, or when I'm driving and put on a station and have Zeppelin, Sabbath, Megadeth. You know. I'll, I'll know all the songs back to front, but I'm like, I don't want to listen to them like that. I'd uh-huh. rather put the album on with that song on it. Listen to the album. I'll put it in a CD or something like yeah. that. But um, when I did listen to commercial radio over here, it was like Van Halen and then more Van Halen and Zeppelin and Sabbath and fucking Crazy Train. If I hear Crazy Train <laughs> again, you know, or Guns N' Roses. Jesus. Now, the fucking great albums are classic songs, but if I, you know, those songs I've listened to enough. Yeah. Even if I put the album on now, I'll probably go, I'll listen to I Don't Know, and I'll go straight into Goodbye to Romance. You know, I'll skip track too. Yeah, well, I mean, a lot of that too was that you definitely had a, a lot of PR people that were, you know, the, the record companies had their radio guys, and they were, you know, pretty much convinced the stations, yeah, play, you know, this track. Only play this track kind of a thing, and kind of beat it to death in a way. But, I mean, it worked. It's, it sold albums. Yeah, like there was guys in England like um, John Peel. Yeah. He'd play albums. He'd yeah. put the fucking album on from start to finish. Yeah. Now God knows what he was doing when it was on, but, <laughs> you know, that, 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 like, to have the balls to do that. Can you imagine someone doing that now? There's, there's only so many long songs you can play. And when you're on the air and you have to take a shit. In a gate of the... Man, you got to, you got to, like, I, you, you got to know the long well, that's, song that's to play. Another, that's another fucking song. <laughs> that and Hotel California... Like, they're all just going to come to me now. And even the titles of the songs, I kind of go, ah. <laughs> you know. Yeah, I did get I did get in shit once for playing the whole one, side, one whole side of the White Album. 
but that I was doing something entirely different. There was a guy. In, there was a guy in the BBC a few years ago, and he made the mistake of putting on "Killing in the Name" by Rage Against the Machine, not the edited version. Uh huh. He got into deep doo doo. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was great radio. Yeah, <laughs> I, I yeah I, I got in trouble once too for playing "Bodies" by the Sex Pistols. So yeah, that was uh, you weren't supposed to play that. I did. Uh, <laughs> someone else did it. And, uh, yeah, but I, I I don't know. I just I was curious about what your radio experience was over there because yeah, the, reading the BCN Different. book really it really brought back a lot of like oh I forgot about that I forgot about I forgot about that guy. Um, it's one of the reasons I think metal uh, fans are so loyal over there is be, it's because it wasn't played on the radio uh-huh. that you had to really go and find it. Yeah, and once you found it, it was yours. Uh huh, and. Uh, when, when One of the things I found, I'm 16, 17 years old, and uh, I was getting into Rat and Bon Jovi and Europe, and then Bon Jovi blew up and Europe blew up, and all of a sudden, my sister's friends had started liking Bon and I fucking <laughs> hated that. I think it's, it's a similar thing here with Metallica. Metallica were like our band, yeah. and then you'd... You, you know, the guy in the office is coming up to you saying, oh, I love Metallica, Enter Sandman's a great song, and you want to go... Well, I even had that with uh, growing up where uh, I got um, I got Black Sabbath 4 for Christmas one year. And my older sister, who's I think four or five years older than me, she was absolutely incensed. Like, that's those are one of my bands. I'm thinking, you never listen to fucking Sabbath ever. Like, what are you talking about, your bands? You're like, go listen to Captain Antonio. What the hell are you talking about? And I just remember her just being so fucking pissed because I got Sabbath 4. Be like, what? Go away. Yeah, I remember a cousin of mine. Uh, he's my first cousin. And, uh, you know, he's uh, he's been in bands all his life. And uh, he, he told me a story of him years ago that uh, for his mother's birthday, he went out and he bought Led Zeppelin's presents for her birthday present saying that she'd like it. All I could think of I don't know if you I don't know if you ever watched the seventies show. I just watched that that seventies show. There's one there's an episode where where uh the kid's mother is trying to like relax or whatever. So one of the other characters, he he runs a record store and he gives her some album. I can't even think of the first band that it was that that she but she oh it gave her the sex pistols. So she brings it back, and she's like, no, this really isn't for me. She's, I need something else that's like, I need something different. So he gives her Judas Priest. He's like, you're going to love this band. It's, it's Judas Priest. It'll be, she's like, oh, okay, well, I like them. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're, they're really good. You're really going to like them. You know, this Judas Priest. The, the end of the show, she's like in the bathtub. She's got candles. She's got bubbles. She's all going to get relaxed. And she puts on. Judas Priest. <laughs> which, which album was it? Well, they just, it wasn't even, I mean, what played wasn't even a Priest song. It just was like basically just loud metal guitar, metal guitar just comes blank with the speaker. She just flips out. And that's all I can think of when you said that is that whole episode where she's just like, ah, oh, this Judas Priest. She think it's going to be like some nice, like relaxing religious music or Quite something. Quite far with Priest. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. I could talk about radio all night, but I can't. No. Anyways, um, I said you got great interview with, with Lita this week. And um, you know what? I think we should uh, 
we should go ahead and uh, play a little bit of leader and uh, roll right into it. Okay. Awesome. Yeah, so where are you? Are you on the West Coast? I'm in Los Angeles. Okay. You know, sometimes I don't know where the fuck I am. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. I thought today was Monday. My tour manager says, no, it's Tuesday. Yeah. So uh, it's that damn Labor Day that one day just screws me up so bad. Yeah, well, for me, it's four, It's one day less to work this week, so I don't mind. Ah, uh, <laughs> yeah, right. That's true. Yeah, yeah. So Good. you're at home, are you? I'm home for uh, one hour. Oh, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, one day. Okay. One day, not one hour. Yeah. Uh, we got in late last night, and we leave tomorrow morning. Okay. I'm often curious now. I've asked a lot of guitar players this question. How many guitars do you have at home, do you reckon? At home? Yeah. I probably have about a dozen. Okay. Um, I don't like to keep a lot of guitars at home because I live in a very uh, fire... Uh, happy area. Everything's on goddamn fire up here. <laughs> so I'm afraid one day I'm going to leave the house and the place is going to burn down. Wow. Do, 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 you have, do you have one there that like you have a favorite to write on? Like, do you like writing at home? I do. I like my acoustics. I've got three Taylor acoustics that are my favorites okay. to write on. Okay. And like, how often would you just pick up a guitar just for the sake of? of playing rather than wanting to do write something on it like do you do you play a lot at home I do um I I don't necessarily hang on just a second hang on sure. let me put you there it's better I don't like to um to plug in the amplifiers and get the pedal boards out and do all that when it's so much easier just to pick up a nice acoustic 
and sit around the house. And, and my acoustic playing is loud anyway, so it just works out really well. Yeah, and do you play any other instruments? Do you play a little bit of piano as well? I've got a keyboard, a Yamaha 2000 here, yeah. which I'm just thinking around on. Yeah. Uh, I'm not a real keyboard player, but if you come up with a riff, that's really all you need, you know? Yeah, and do you still, still write the music the same way you've always done? Um, yeah, I do. Um, we've been writing, recently I've been writing with Gary Howey. Oh, Gary's, Gary? Gary's from, uh, I'm just outside of Boston. Yeah, Gary's in my neck of the woods. Neighbors, I noticed the area code. Yeah, I'm not from Boston, but, you know, I'm in the same area as Gary. Right, right. Yeah. Well, he's going to come to the show, um, so maybe you guys will run into each other. He's got one of my guitars at his house, which is kind of an interesting guitar, and it's an interesting story, but my God, does it play like a dream. Um I went on a fishing trip with my father when he was alive. We went to Oregon, and uh, I saw this piece of wood on the side of the road, and I thought, that is a badass piece of wood. I mean, how many girls look at wood, you know? It's just it's just non-existent. <laughs> it yeah. was funny. So he, he stops. I said, Dad, pull over. He goes, why? What's the matter? You got to throw up or something? <laughs> I said, no, I want that piece of wood. We got to bring it back to the BC Rich factory. And uh, my dad was so game. He was so fun. He was into everything. Anything I wanted to do, he was up for it. So he goes, all right, let's strap it to the roof of the car. So we picked up, or he picked up this massive piece of tree trunk. And uh, we took it to the BC Rich factory, and they made me uh, this beautiful guitar out of it, which turned out to be curly maple, fire maple, mixed with burly maple. And it's real thick, real heavy, and uh, everyone was flipping out. Where did you get this wood, Lita? We, we need more you got to go back and get more. <laughs> I, was go I was going to ask you, did the people in the company think you were mad bringing in your own wood? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Well, they loved me there. They would do anything for me. So uh, this was when Bernie Rico Sr. was still alive. Yeah. Okay. So. Yeah. So I, I, I got a personal story of mine, right? You, you give me a personal story. So the first night of my first concert, I was 16 years old. And it was the first night of Bon Jovi's New Jersey tour in Dublin in October the 31st, 1988. And you opened. So you, you were the first show I ever saw. No kidding. No, I'm deadly serious. Oh, that's so badass. You know, I remember that show because I bought a pair of boots with Joe Elliott's um, girlfriend or wife or something at the time, yeah. Claire. Yeah. And uh, I said, Claire, where did you get those boots? And she says, I'm going to take you shopping and buy you a pair of these boots so you can be all sort of warm and snuggly. <laughs> and I remember her, the way she said that and her fingers, and it was the cutest thing. So I bought the boots and I wore, the de I wore them to death. 
but it was because of the Bon Jovi tour through um, through Dublin. Yeah. Did Did you do the whole, did, how, how much of those dates did you do? Did you do the whole European leg of the tour? We did. Okay. Yep. That That was a That was a fantastic tour to get on. Like because they were just they were just they weren't massive. They just did Donington in England to like ninety thousand people. And they were just about to release the new record. Like, when when did you find? How soon before the tour did you find out you were on it? Because that's a brilliant tour to get. Oh God, I, I honestly don't remember. Um, Sharon Osbourne was my manager at the time, you know, which leads you to realize why I was on the tour. Mm. Um, you know, she she always got the best of the best. I don't know. Um, I, I don't remember. Yeah. Don't remember, but um, we did the entire European leg of the tour, and I've got to say it was probably the best tour I've ever been on. Like, was there any particular show on that tour that stands out for you that, like, was really important for you guys? Uh, another show that started in the U.S.? No, on, on, on the Bon Jovi tour. Like, you know, I, the Dublin show was special for me, but do you remember any other show on that tour that, like, re, you have fond memories of, or was it just the whole tour in general? Yes, I do, actually. Um, Wembley was incredible. Uh, we got um, we got invited on stage to play with a lot of other musicians. Is one thing that Bon Jovi would do while he was performing. If there were any other musicians in the audience, he would bring them up on stage. And this particular night, there was Brian May and uh, Elton John, um, Rick Allen on drums and um and me. <laughs> wow. And we had a, a stage full of 
brilliant musicians, and, and we played a Beatles song. Um, we also recorded, because he sold out, or we sold out, three nights at Wembley Arena, and uh, we recorded it. So there's a lot of video footage flying around out there on on the Internet from Wembley. Mm. Was that was that literally like that day John Bon Jovi comes up to you and says, do you want to get up on stage without John, Brian May, and Rick Allen? Was, did it literally happen like that, or did you know well beforehand? Did, did what? Like, did he did he ask you that day to do it, or like, did you have a few days' notice that you knew you were actually going to do it? Oh no, we had like five seconds. <laughs> oh my god! Because uh, I said, "How the hell do you play? Was it come together?" And um, I'm not really. I'm more of a Rolling Stones fan. Yeah. You know, it's like black or white, uh, salt or pepper sugar, you know, sugar or salt, you know, it's one of those things. Beatles or Stones, you know, I'm a real Rolling Stones fanatic, so when they said Come Together, which is a very basic, basic, simple song, I wasn't quite sure what key they wanted to do it in, and uh, I remember Brian May saying, do it in the key of C, and then John says, no, do it in the key of B. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, these guys don't even know what key they want to play it in. (laughs) So I ran backstage, and I asked my guitar player at the time what keys come together in, because he was a Beatles fanatic, and uh, he told me. So he saved me. (laughs) (laughs) Very good. Now, I want to talk about one of the albums. I don't think a lot of people ask you about and it's my personal favorite. I love Dangerous Curves. Oh yeah. Yeah, and you 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 changed producers from Mike Chapman to Tom Werman. Was that your decision? Uh, no, it really wasn't. Um, I had a huge falling out with Sharon Osbourne, and uh, she had actually turned Mike Chapman against me by doing some things that he didn't want done because he had artistic control over the album. And uh, she'd pulled some songs that we I didn't want them on the album and Sharon didn't want, want them on the album, but Mike did. So anyway, it turned into a big fiasco and uh, that was the end of Mike. Unfortunately, I loved Mike. He was such a good guy and such a great guy to work with that it absolutely broke my heart. But, you know, rock and roll, what do you do? Yeah, so you got Tom Werman in, and um, there was a couple of co-writes on this. I'm always curious about the outside songwriters. You had Jim Valance on this one, and we did a huge project on the show here about Little Mountain Sound Studios in Vancouver. And Jim was one of the guys I was like emailing back and forth. And he was the go-to, one of the go-to guys at that time. He wrote with the Scorpions. He wrote with Bon Jovi, Brian Adams. Um, what 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 was missing in the songs that he added that he wrote for that album? Oh gosh, his his melodies, um, his melodies were phenomenal. You know, uh, playing with fire. Um, 
he co-wrote Playing With Fire, which is one of my favorite songs. We play it live. Mm-hmm. Um, just fantastic stuff and very identifiable. Um, when you hear his voice or hear his guitar playing, you know it's him. You know, his voice especially sticks out. So he did sing backup vocal on uh, Playing With Fire, which is just one of my favorite songs yeah. on the record. leader to outside songwriters anyway because I've interviewed different people over the years and some of them resisted it in the beginning others with open arms in the beginning where where did you lie on that I get I get it right away if they're going to work or not and I'm always open to anybody who I mean a good song is a good song it doesn't matter where it comes from to come from the guy down the street, so long as it's a good song. They're hard to find. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I wrote with Jim, we, we hit it off. We were laughing. We, from the very second we met each other, he picked me up at the airport, and he was dressed as a limo driver. <laughs> I didn't recognize him. I didn't know what he looked like. You know, I'd never met him before. So he had a sign, he was holding a sign that said, Rita Ward. <laughs> and I thought, well, I had to do a double take. Like, I walked around him a couple of times, looked at, looked at him and checked him out. And he just kept still standing there holding the sign. And I said, Jim? And he looked at me and he goes, I got you. It was great. So from that moment on, we just hit it off. Yeah, yeah. You know, you just know. Yeah. You just know. But it's hard to find anybody to do a good job. It doesn't matter what it is, even if it's babysitting, you know. That's true. It's hard to find. Yeah, yeah. So what was the big difference between the way Mike produced you and the way Tom Werman produced you? 
Uh, oh, boy. Mike had a lot more experience than Tom because Mike had gone back to the sweet days and, uh, God, the early, early rock songs, the, the big hits. And he'd written the big hits, um, you know, My Sharona and, uh, uh, God, uh, Ballroom Blitz, I forgot the name of it. Ballroom Blitz, and I mean, songs you, you just forget about, but then when you mention them, it's like, oh my God, I remember that. You know, right up to the best, simply the best for Tina Turner. He's just written some of the greatest songs where I don't think Paul War, uh, Tom Worman has. Mm hmm. Yeah, I'm all. Although he a great producer, and I really enjoyed working with Tom. Yeah. He was not a Mike Chapman. Okay, you see, the produ I've had a lot of producers on, and I always think they don't get talked about enough when it comes to records because they vary in styles. You know the way the way they all produce, and I always try and ask and compare different producers with different artists just to see how they how they remember how each of them work and how they were different. So. Yeah, that's why I asked you that question. So, oh, he he was an absolute perfectionist yeah. as far as you know, playing the guitar part over and over and over and over, over and over. It's like half the day's gone by and you're still on the same guitar part. But he was a perfectionist and he he wanted it the way he wanted it. Yeah, uh, you know, I think that's why it's such a great album. Of course, it has a lot of celebrities on it, and the songs were great. Mm -hmm. Now, one of the uh, thing, one of the things you had going against you when that came out is if that came out in November '91, and in that year, ten facelift and Nevermind it all came out just before it. So, did you know when did you get a sense that the whole scene was really not finished, for want of a better word, because it literally happened overnight? Can you remember seeing one thing or somebody telling you something that? You went, uh-oh, I might be in trouble here. Um, I don't know what you mean. I'm sorry. Right. When that came out in 91, all the all the big grunge albums that came out just before it. Oh, yeah. So a lot of a lot of the a lot of the artists that brought out albums after that, their sales weren't as good as they were, you know, they expected to be that literally the labels kind of dropped the ball overnight and didn't promote them as well. Can you can you remember anybody saying anything to you or did you get a Did you get a sense yourself at the time that you know that things mightn't be going as well as you hoped? Well, nobody nobody said anything to me because I was really ready for a break in the music industry. We're talking ninety one. I started in nineteen seventy five in the music industry, so I had been playing for what uh, almost twenty years. Yeah. I mean, no, longer, am I saying? Um, yeah, well, 91, and then uh, The Runaways came out in 75, and I was tired. I really didn't care what the music industry was doing at that point. I wanted to take a break. I was ready for a break. I didn't care, you know, with the whole rap scene and, uh, you know, Aerosmith with her crossover run DMC and all that. It was just time for a break. Mm 
Mm-hmm. And um, that's when I had my two boys. And it was perfect timing. When I came back, all that had disappeared and it changed. So it was good timing, really, yeah. to come back. Yeah. I, I want to ask you about when, when you came back. You probably would have heard that a lot of things had changed in the in the music business, but when you actually did come back, what surprised you that it still was the same in the music business, that you thought might be gone? It really was the same. Um, I didn't pay attention to it. Okay. I just kept being leader, and I didn't want to follow what anybody else was doing. I didn't want to hear anybody else's records. I just wasn't interested in anything other than what was in my heart. And uh, my heart at the time was just overflowing. And uh, I wanted to get it. I wanted to record it while I had it. Mm-hmm. So uh, I had met Gary Hoey. And I had been gone for 15 years, so I was out of touch with a lot of people. I didn't stay in contact with a lot of people. I had moved to a deserted island and uh, lived there and raised my boys. I homeschooled them. And uh, just coming back, I I wanted to be Rita. I thought, you know what? I've, I've earned this. I don't need to listen to what other other bands are playing. I don't have to sound like anybody else because I'm Lita. Mm-hmm. I can do what I want, and I did. Played what I wanted to play, the riffs, the song titles, guitar parts. I just said, you know, I'm just going to do what I want to do. Yeah. And it paid off, you know. I owned it. have a lot of record people saying that you couldn't, you know, maybe some of the record companies that you, 
the industry has changed so much, it can't be the way it used to be. Was there a lot of people that actually said that? No, if they did, I wasn't listening. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. I don't remember anyone saying that. Okay. All right. So I, w I do want to ask you a question about, about. I didn't get you on when you had the book out. I thought the book was great, by the way. What was oh, the, thank you. What was the most grueling part of actually promoting it for you? Promoting the book, yeah. probably the tour. Okay. <laughs> no, I'm just like, did you do? Did you do a lot of interviews? Like, was there a lot of book signings and stuff like that? That it was like, I didn't expect it to be this this hard, or w w was it as expected for you? It was just really phenomenal. Um, I, I was happy with Harper Collins and the way they supported me. Yeah. Um, they put me on a two-week book tour, which seemed like two years because it was so brutal. Wow. Early morning flights, start talking at early morning in the in the day, and you know by the end of the day you've got no voice left because you've been talking all day different hours, different time zones, lists and lists of people. Then you then we would go to a bookstore and uh I would do a Q and A and um those were fun. You know, and I would tell a lot of stories. Yeah. And uh then I would find about five hundred books, you know, uh whoever was there at the store plus about 500 books so they could keep them on their shelves. Yeah. You weren't playing any shows when you were promoting the book, were you? Oh, it was impossible. <laughs> there was no time. Yeah, yeah. So i just got a couple of questions, Lita, before I finish up. Um, yeah. I ask a lot of musicians this, right, and what's the... What's the worst injury you've had, you've ever suffered while you've been on stage? And I'll give you a couple of examples before before I, you can tell me your one, right? Mike Portnoy said he broke his wrist playing drums. Billy Sheen says he cracked a rib and he couldn't sing. So, like, what's 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 the worst one that happened to you? He cracked a rib on stage. Yeah, he bashed, bashed it off the the amp. Jesus Christ! Yeah, <laughs> and he kept playing. But he couldn't really sing. He had to get it strapped. Oh my God! Um, I I really don't know. Um, I don't think I have one. Okay. Uh, I'm trying to think. Um, yeah, I really don't think I have one. Uh, under you know, after all these years and drinking and everything else, you go on stage stoned and high, and uh, I just don't. I never hurt myself on stage. Um, I'm trying to think. I did whack myself in the eye with one of the uh, corners of my um, mockingbird. Okay. With my yellow mockingbird. And I was doing a headbang. And as I was banging my head forward, I lifted up the guitar. And it smacked me right across the bridge of my eye, right below, you know, that bone that goes underneath your eye. Mm -hmm. And I, I was watching the audience because my friend, you know, Niels Lozauer, the photographer. Yeah, yeah, I know. He was in the audience taking pictures. And I'm looking at him, and I can see my eye was growing. The, the, the cheek underneath my eye, it was getting bigger to the point where I, I could see it. <laughs> yeah. And 
I had on a lot of makeup, but when I ended up taking off that makeup, my eye was black. Wow. So I guess that's probably the accident of all accidents. And I was proud of myself. <laughs> yeah, I won the accident award. Yeah, you you finished the show. The show must go on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So st- stupid, huh? The things we used to do. Yeah. So all these projects that are happening now where the label like Frontiers are getting all these like so-called super groups together. Have you ever been asked to be part of any of those? Super groups? Yeah. Um, you know, you know the way from yeah. they, they might get a singer for, or a singer and a guitar player, bass player. I'll give you an example, right? Um, Revolution Saints has got Doug Aldridge, Dean Castronovo, and Jack Blades in it, and they're releasing their second record in a couple of weeks. And I'm just wondering, has any anyone ever approached you to maybe be part of something like that, a group like that, maybe? There was one. Um, God, what the hell's his name? Uh, Guns, LA Guns. Oh, Tracy, Tracy Guns? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Tracy Guns, Ricky Rocket. And I'm drawing a blank. It was a bunch of guys, like, and uh, it really didn't last. And we were in the middle of a tour, and I couldn't leave. I told them, I said, I can't, I can't leave. I I can't quit what I'm doing in this project. As much as I would have loved to do it, it didn't last. It was right before uh, Ricky got sick with cancer. And um, that drink was sponsoring it, that sports drink, mm-hmm. um, which I don't drink. Gatorade, is it? No, um, the other one with the claw. Oh, I, I know, I know, the, I can't think of the name of it off the top of my head. I know what you're talking, yeah. you're talking about. Yeah, I couldn't, um, I can't remember, for God's sake. As soon as I hang up, I'll remember it. <laughs> uh, so it was a sports drink sponsor. They started out strong. They were doing quite a few shows. Next thing you know, you didn't hear their name anymore. Yeah. So I I did the right thing. But I think a lot of people don't ask me because I'm so wrapped up in my own world as Lita Ford and as solo artist. You know, I'm not just a guitar player and a hired band, hired gun. So uh, I think that's one reason why I don't get asked more. Um, there's different people out there I'd like to play with who are unknown that are just excellent. Yeah. And maybe one day I'll get to play with them or maybe they'll be in my band, you know. Um, but I think they're probably the only ones that have asked me. Um, I do the rock and roll fantasy camp quite a lot. Love David Fishoff, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, just uh, little things like that, you know, but nothing major. Yeah. So how's how's the writing going on the new album? Do you have any uh, any update on that? And any hopes when you're hoping to have it released? It's pretty badass. Okay. Pretty badass. It's just been Gary Howie and I so far. Um, he's him and I get along so well in the studio. It's just ridiculous. It's, I start a sentence and he finishes it, you know? Yeah. We've really got a feel for music in the studio, so we work well together. And I think he will most likely be the one to finish out the album. 
I did write a couple songs with some other people, which are real good. Yep. And we may use them. They need to be remixed. The demos, they're just demos right now. But they do need to be remixed. Um, whereas Gary and I, we do a demo and it sounds like a master. So it's going great. I'm excited. I didn't think I was going to be able to beat Living Like a Runaway. But I think I have. Excellent. Well, that's great. So I'm, <laughs> I'm hoping later to go, um, I'm down to go see you all right in um, a week from Friday at the Tupelo in uh, Londonderry. And I'm planning to bring my seven-year-old son to his first concert because you were my first and you're going to be his first. Ah, that's so, fantastic. So I'm hoping to get backstage to say hello and get a few photographs with you. So hopefully that will happen. Okay. Yes, of course, we'll take care of you. All right, so... I'll, no, I'll, I'll, we've got uh, a limited guest list, I was told, which is ridiculous, mm-hmm. but don't even worry about it, we'll, we'll take care of you. All right, Lita, well, I'll see you a week from Friday, and uh, I know you've got more interviews now, so have a good rest of the day, and thanks for talking to me. Thanks, Rich. All, All right. right, take care. We'll All see right. you in a week. No problem. Okay, bye. There you go, Richie's interview with the... Uh, one and only Lita Ford, and uh, of course, played a few tracks along the way just to kind of give you a quick recap. Yeah, you know, kicked it off a little disturbed with their cover of Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For. Then we broke into the Lita Ford with Branded off of Living Like a Runaway, Can't Catch Me, special one just for Richie. That is from the London date of the 1988 tour. So, a uh, few dates from uh, when he saw them in Dublin. Then a little playing with fire, and then off of the uh, new one again, uh, living like a runaway, a little devil in my head. So uh, lots of Lita Ford music for you here this week on Focus on Metal. And, you know, if you want to find out more about Lita Ford, what's going on, and maybe even get yourself some merch, you can head over to Lita Ford Online. And from there, you can uh, hit the tour dates, get all of her tour dates. And if you're listening to this the week that it is coming out, then uh, you know that uh, actually, even though Richie talks about it coming up, that uh, she uh, hit the Tupelo in uh, in Derry, New Hampshire on the 15th. Still has some more dates coming up in the U.S. as well as Canada right through 2017. And in uh, fact, they're even coming your way, Dario, up in Winnipeg. And then there's also a few more dates announced for early 2018 as well, including the Monsters of Rock cruise going from uh, Miami to Jamaica. So uh, you want to check uh, Lita Ford out on the boat. There you go. Get your uh, Monsters of Rock cruise tickets. But anyways, as I said, Lita Ford online. Go there. Get your tour dates. Get your news. And also you can hop over to her store and get any kind of uh, Lita Ford swag that you want. Also has her gear rundown, band rundown, all that stuff on there, as well as all of her official Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter feeds. And speaking of that, hey, might as well just recap. Haven't done it for a few weeks. You want to hit our main site, get all of our episodes, you can go over to focusonmetal.net. Want to get the show notes and uh, other general news. Haven't been doing much for news lately, but that would be focusonmetal.blogspot.com. And, of course, you can hit us up on uh, on Facebook, which usually handles most of the Facebook stuff these days. And... Uh, 
then you can also hit me up on Twitter. That's how we divide it. Richie does Facebook. I do Twitter. So there you go. There's all of your linky links for Focus on Metal. Well, we do have a YouTube channel as well, but uh, there really hasn't been uh, much going on there. I haven't made some videos in years. So really not sure what we are up to next week. There's a few things that are hanging out there. A few interviews coming up. A few interviews that have been done. So a few things to choose from. And some of them might require a little bit of work on our part. So obviously between now and then, uh, Richie and I will figure it out. So that's it. There ain't no more. Stick a fork in it. This puppy is done for another week. And as always, thank you very much for continuing to listen to us and support us and make it worth doing this week after week. So for Richie, myself, and everybody else here at Focus on Metal, until we talk to you again next week, remember... Focus on Metal! Everything else is insignificant. Still here? It's over. Go home.